Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today we have a real treat for you. Actually, two treats. One, sharing our first dystopian short story with you. And two, having the writer of this story performing the narration for it. She's our own Australian original, Erica Tippett. And she's become a pretty good short story writer since her last visit here when she read a Henry Lawson story for us last year. Dystopian stories are a sort of science fiction in that they describe society in the future or near future, and the outlook tends to be fairly grim. Not many people would argue with you if you said big government has gone way too far in controlling our lives. Erica's story today, called The Test, describes the plight of a young girl who lives in a totalitarian society which, in an obvious effort to control the population, forces young ladies to pass a test in order that they can be granted fertility. The young lady, whose name is Meg, nervously awaits the outcome of her test. We will break for a sponsor message before the story, and the story will be ad-free. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And now, The Test by Erica Tippett. The Test by Erica Tippett. Meg looked up. Something had broken her concentration. She had been sitting on the rock for nearly an hour completely still, save for intermittent blinking. Her eyes darted around. Charlie raised an ear, then his furry head, cocked it to one side, then lowered it again with a quiet grunt. The river, oblivious, gurgled and splashed onwards. Meg returned her gaze to the river. Its crystal-clear waters were spring-fed, bubbling up from deep underground. It had been attracting those in need of quiet reflection for longer than Meg could imagine. As she summoned the strength to leave, she wondered if her mother had ever sat on the same rock and peered into the cool water. 
She had so much to learn. At times, she felt like she knew nothing. Even with all the questions she had asked over the years, there were so many unanswered. She was sure she had barely scratched the surface. A single hot tear trickled down her cheek. She wiped it away and stared at the stones and leaves that lay on the riverbed. Meg took a deep breath in and stood. Charlie stood obediently by her side, and they left. Meg checked the time. It was 6.30am. She busied herself in the kitchen. Once the correct formula had been entered into the food machine, she perched on a stool and waited for her breakfast. Meg ate slowly, carefully chewing each mouthful. She washed her food down with a glass of sanitised water. She set the dish pot to clean, then headed to the interior portal. She hesitated in the portal, relishing the warmth from the bright light above her head. You can do this, Meg said under her breath, then pressed hard on the washroom button. She used the sanitising cubicle, then dressed in the clothes she had chosen the night before. After brushing her teeth, she glanced in the mirror and smiled. Meg had always had a lovely smile. Her inherited straight teeth had been a larger blessing than she had realised when a child, but that could be said for many of her attributes. It seemed cruel that Meg's good genetic standing could all be for nothing if she didn't perform well in a few hours. This was her last chance. She turned and left the washroom before the anxiety in her eyes was reflected back at her. Meg grabbed her computer and hugged it tight to her chest before adding it to her pre-packed bag. After the debacle of last time, she was determined to be well-organised and stay calm. She glanced at her device. The ticks on the screen confirmed all was going to plan. Meg scanned her bag, closed it, then swung it onto her back. She shut the front door and locked it behind her using her thumbprint. She moved her hand, pressed it against the cold metal and closed her eyes. Her hand pulsed with the connection to her childhood home. She couldn't fathom not being able to return there. I will pass, Meg said emphatically. She drew her hand back by her side, turned, and walked down the path. Meg reached the station three minutes before the train. She looked at her device and received the smiling-faced confirmation her train was still on time. She sat on the cold metal seat, bag still on her back. A fellow passenger sat beside her. He was dressed in a navy pinstripe suit, white shirt, no tie. Meg glanced sideways at the man, then rose from her seat and walked over to the shield glass to wait the remaining minute or so there. She hoped she would get a seat to herself on the train, which she had chosen to ensure a timely arrival and because it was not usually crowded. As the train departed, Meg looked out of the window from her seat and watched a woman in green slow from a run to a walk, then stop. The woman dropped her head, red-cheeked, breathing heavily. The woman looked defeated. Despite herself, Meg smiled wryly, then self-consciously uncurled her mouth and turned her attention back to her last-minute cramming. The words and diagrams swirled around in her head. Then she saw her mum's face. Oh, how she missed her on days like this. She felt like it could be the difference. If her mum was still around, she would have started from the same base as most other girls and was sure she would have passed. Her therapist had disagreed. You feel like losing your mum at such a young age has put you on the back foot. Stop looking for excuses, Meg. There are so many resources out there to help you. Don't dwell on the past. You can't change that. Just get on with it and pass the test. Meg had changed therapists. 
but that hadn't stopped those words being repeated in her dreams for months afterwards. Meg walked towards the foreboding entrance of exam centre number 204 and through the double glass doors. After completing the obligatory fingerprinting and retina scan, she obtained her pass from the security booth and headed straight for the toilet. Meg sat there longer than necessary, muttering affirmations under her breath. At the sanitising station, she glanced sideways at the woman beside her. The woman had a round, unlined face. Meg watched the woman cleanse her hands and tidy her hair as if in any old facility. Then she looked down at her own hands, which had been cleansed a second time by accident. Meg kept her head low as she swung her bag on her back and quickly left the restroom. When the doors opened to the exam hall, Meg filed in after the line of women in front. She had purposefully lingered in the hall until she could count 18 in the queue, before casually walking over and joining the end. Meg sat at a pod on the far side of the vast room in the front row of the second section. It was as far away as possible to where she had sat the first and second time. She retrieved her water bottle from the side of her bag and sat down. Meg reached into her pocket and fingered the lucky charm her fiancé had given her over two years before. It hadn't worked, but somehow Meg couldn't suppress the impulse to bring it with her. She had left it in the top drawer of her desk, safely wrapped in a tiny garment. She was halfway through packing her bag when she saw it in her mind's eye, and next thing she knew, it was in her hand. Meg had sat on her bed, turning it over with her fingers. And with each rotation, she had thought about a different, incorrect answer from the past tests. But after a while, her mind wandered to the excitement on her fiancé's face when he had given her the lucky charm, the twinkle of hope in his eye. And it had felt lucky again. So, Meg had shoved it in the pocket of her pants chosen for the big day. She shifted in her seat, pushed the charm back down to the bottom of her pocket and, blinking the memories away, picked up the skeletal helmet in front of her and put it on her head. In what seemed like no time at all, she heard the examiner call, Time's up! His voice bouncing around the room. Meg turned her head swiftly one way and then the other, eyes panic-stricken. Remove your helmet, unhook your device blocker and leave it neatly at your pod. Then take your belongings and leave in an orderly manner. Meg did as she was told and anxiously filed out of the room in a reversed queue from the one hours before. Once safely out of the room, the group of women erupted into excited chatter. How do you think you went? A rosy-cheeked girl asked Meg while they queued for the toilet. Ah, uh, not sure. Okay, I think. Better than last. Oh, you've taken the test before then, the girl said. Meg nodded, avoiding the girl's gaze by staring at her red shoes. How about you? Really good, I think. I'm pretty sure. At least we don't have to wait long to find out the result. I still can't believe they take you into the clinic and perform the procedure straight away if you're in the top group. It's so exciting. I thought you would have to book it in for another day for sure. Yeah, it is good, Meg said and headed for a vacant cubicle. She sat on the toilet and waited until a few minutes after the red shoes had passed by the door on the way back to the sanitising station. Listening, please! The authoritative voice broke through the chatter in waiting area B. All those whose names I call move quietly to room B1. Meg felt for the silver baby bottle charm in her pocket once more. Her fingers gripped the cool metal tightly and she clenched her other hand into a fist. 
She listened eagerly for her name, knowing the first group was the one she wanted to be in. They were the lucky ones, with no limits and immediate treatment. By the end of the day, they would be fertile and free to choose how many children they had. There would be 50 in all. The long list came to an end without her. Meg looked around the room and saw Red Shoes still sitting in the waiting room. The earlier shine in her eyes had vanished. Meg grinned, then slightly ashamed, dropped her eyes to the floor. Thank you for your patience, infertiles. The announcement stirred the sullen room. Can those whose names I call move into room B2? If I do not call your name, please proceed immediately to the security desk and return your pass. If this was your first or second attempt, you may reapply for next year's exam. If it was your final attempt, your failure notice will be filed with the Ministry of Population Management directly. Meg felt her chest tighten. She held her breath. Sal Jones? Lu Ng? Red Shoes sprang from her seat and rushed to the designated meeting room. Emmy House? Anna Navikaja? Eva Garcia? As the names were called and each woman rose from her seat with a relieved smile, Meg felt more and more despondent. Wen Song? Li No? Peg Weaven? Meg's heart and stomach sank. Her mind raced. She was sure the multiple choice answers she had selected had been correct. Most of them seemed familiar from the practice tests and only one or two had answers that seemed too alike to choose definitively. It was the cognitive process score she was worried about. She couldn't tell if the amount of time it took for the right answer to enter her head had been reasonable. And then there was the negative thought pattern component. That was what had brought Meg down before and resulted in the two failed attempts. She tried her hardest to change her negative thought responses to positive. It had been excruciating trying to change her pessimistic reflex to optimistic. Meg had endured many hours of remedial training, which her father had begrudgingly paid for. Well, if it's the only way you will fulfil your purpose and bear me grandchildren, he had said with a sigh. It was all right for him, she had thought. He was exempt. Like all men, he had no real comprehension of what it was like to take the test. And fail. Her brother was just as bad. Maybe worse. Don't worry about it, sis. If you never have kids, then I'll get all the inheritance. I don't mind. Meg had looked at her brother's smug grin and wished her mum had been there to scold him. Meg raised her head slowly from where it lay resting in her hands. She had an imprint from her engagement ring on her forehead. She looked at the solitaire diamond sparkling in the harsh neon light. Meg, will you do me the honour of being my wife? Russ had asked her that warm summer night. The heady scent of jasmine had filled her nose and she had felt giddy with happiness and love. Take this ring. It was my mother's and my grandmother's before her. We have traced the ring back fifteen generations. And once you pass the test, we will be permitted to marry. Then one day the ring will pass to our daughter. That's what I will choose first when you ace the test. A baby girl. The room was half empty. The tall, heavy-set figure at the front looked to the last name on his list. He blinked twice. Megan Tinkard he said. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. I hope you enjoyed this story written and performed by Erica Tippett from The Land Down Under. If any of you listeners have short stories that you'd like to send us, 
We'd be glad to take a look. Send them to 1001storiespodcast at gmail.com. By the way, we really appreciate reviews, and here are a few recent ones. The first one, five stars. Jack in the Woods. Love the show. Good selection of different stories. Nice blend of old names I know well and others whom I had not known of before. Great show. That one from Davy's Dog, Apple Podcast, Canada. And this one, great storytelling, five stars. In this podcast, you'll find a wide variety of exciting stories of different length to suit your available time by authors you know and love, all of which are read in a pleasant voice and manner that spans the bridges of one's imagination. Sure to make this a favorite to all who might invest their chance upon a single episode. Thanks, John, for your craft and delivery in the art of storytelling. You are a master. Down from Scott Baby, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, Uncle John, five stars. This podcast has been an unexpected gem. The short story format is perfect for the daily commute, and the selection is excellent. John's narration is like being 10 years old again and having your favorite uncle read you a story. Sometimes words are mispronounced, but that is half the charm of listening to a guy who loves books and wants to share. Keep up the good work. That one from Paul Nalish, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you so much for these reviews. And Paul, you're right, sometimes I do mispronounce words. Between our seven shows, I probably read, I probably narrate between 40 and 50,000 words a week. And there's no doubt I miss some, but I do my best. And like you said, I love books and want to share. And that's what this is all about. Thank you so much for your reviews. I appreciate them all. That's it for this week for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Be sure to catch us at 1001 Stories for the Road, where we have a brand new novel appearing. It's another one from writer John Buchan. We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with a brand new episode. Meanwhile, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.